Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another edition of Escaping Rock Bottom. I'm your host, Brandon Lee, down here in Orange County in Mission Viejo. Uh, for those who are tuning in and watching the podcast, you can see i got a special guest with me today. I'll introduce Matt coming up in just a moment. If you are listening to the podcast on Spotify, Google Play, or iTunes, welcome. Uh, we got a special story and a special guest for you today. Um, Matt from Orange County. Matt, thanks for doing the podcast. No problem. Okay, I'm just... Oh, no there problem. you go. There you go. <laughs> Got to get that singer and the microphone in you. Um, Matt, tell me a little bit about and take me back to like day one, uh, a little bit about your story. Uh, when did you first decide to use drugs? What was your drug of choice? Was it alcohol? Was it drugs? Was it a combination of both? Um, probably like majority of, of people watching this started with marijuana, probably in about seventh grade. Um, alcohol, uh, that quickly escalated to hallucinogenics lsd was big when i was in junior high junior high school already yeah, dipping high. into lsd yeah a lot of lsd <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and uh and going back even before that the f- f- extreme feelings of fear like in s- social groups you'll hear that a lot um with people feeling a lot of fear and wanted to loosen up um want to be life of the party um so, yeah, but it escalated quick from marijuana to alcohol and um, to anything else that was put in front of me. So. i got to ask you because, you know, I started um, the first time I really dipped into hardcore drug use. I was about 15 years old and um, was doing cocaine. And so one of the questions that I get asked all the time, I'm nearing a decade of sobriety, and it's still one of the most popular questions that I get asked was, you grew up in Orange County, like one of the nicest counties in all of america and why of all people would you choose drugs hardcore drugs at age 15 and i'm talking drugs like cocaine and now that i've been through intensive therapy and i've had a lot of time to reflect i wanted to know the why for me and me dipping into drugs at such a young age was the trauma that i experienced of being sexually abused as a child uh, not only verbally and physically abused but then sexually abused uh, by my piano teacher and you soccer coach so my same question to you is what traumas happened early on in life that even gave you um the need to want to escape at, at such a young age um now I'm able to say that as a man, <clears throat> the one thing that was missing the whole time, and I, I've been through um, numerous programs over 20 years, when it got to like doing step work in the four-step, the, the sexual stuff that happened to me as a youngster, I was at a boys' ranch at about 12 and was sexually assaulted for about two weeks by some old, older kids in this place. And I remember just the feeling of extreme fear and anger and abandonment by my family and if i look back now after working all the steps and being to face this stuff and get it out and giving it to god um those were that's what just pushed me towards i because i got involved with crystal meth probably at about 15 16 i'm a crystal meth user yeah and alcohol hard so it was going back and forth with amphetamines alcohol and just self-condemnation all no self-worth whatsoever and just the feelings of extreme fear, what people would think of me if I talked about those kind of feelings and that kind of stuff that happened to me that I pushed down for so long. I never wanted to talk about that with another man. Um, I had even feelings when I was young when that stuff happened to me. Am I gay? I struggle with my sexuality. Um, and I portrayed myself after that. More years had passed that I had kept that secret. I portrayed myself as this hardened individual and nobody would have known. And this time around, this 17 months is the first time in front of a group of men, in front of my sponsor, 
just put my hands up and surrender and talked about this stuff because it was killing me. And it was the root cause of why the question of why that was asked from a young age, why is Matt doing this? Why is Matt doing this? What's wrong with Matt? What's wrong with Matt? Um, it's freedom. It was freedom off my shoulders, being able to talk about that, not caring what anybody thinks about me, just w- what's going on between me and my higher power, my God, um, and being able to put it out in the light for once in my life. And it's been a game changer. My whole outlook on life has changed because I finally got honest. And that's what it, what I've learned this time around is being transparent and staying honest, you know, and not caring what anybody thinks and finally finding out who I am, you know, that I am, I am worthy and I am lovable and I'm, I'm an actual good guy. But it, it, it was 20 years with that core secret of that stuff that happened as a youngster that led me through, you know, all the horrors you hear, um, overdoses, uh, institutions, state prison for a good chunk of my life at 18. It all happened so quick, but I remember when everything took a turn for the worse is when that stuff had happened to me and I didn't tell anybody about it, you know? So, wow. We have so many, I, your story is so damn powerful. It's so similar to mine. It's scary because, you know, I tell people all the time and it's what my book's about. My book comes out next month. And the reason why I wrote the book is to help end the, the, the shame and the stigma of, of child sex abuse, um, because I know that that's what led me to escape at such a young age. Um, and as children, we don't have the capabilities at that age to fight back and, and fight for ourselves. So what we do is we go into survival mode and survival mode means bearing it down so deep. And then I built a fortress around me. I built yeah. a fortress around my heart and, and I didn't let anybody in. And so the moment I first found cocaine and felt that escape from that pain and that shame and that guilt because nobody knew. Um, you know, I was so embarrassed for so long. And, you know, I, I finally, I didn't even come out publicly about my sex abuse until about two years ago. And I'm going on nearly a decade of sobriety. So I've done a four step and I was very open and honest when I first got sober and I told my sponsor that I was sexually abused, but that was not enough that I needed to share in front of a larger group of, you know, of a 12 step room, you know, of AA or CMA or whatever group I was part of that. I really needed to share that deep, dark and secret with so many other people to really take that weight off my shoulders and that shame and guilt. Um, and I think it's so important that people identify that trauma in their life, because if we don't identify what that trauma is, then how do we know what, what's going to lead us back into those? And it always, to me, is secrets, right? Yeah. Secrets that we hold if we're not open enough in our fourth step. So what was it like when you started? At what point did you get into meth? Um, meth was probably at about ninth grade in high school. Um, I had just, or between ninth and tenth grade, I had just got back from that boy's ranch. I was there for about a year, and that stuff had happened to me. I, I remember... After that stuff had happened to me, and it, it took place for about a two-week period with some 18-year-old older dudes, and I remember being extremely rebellious, um, extremely anger, angered, just an angry kid. Um, yeah. I just had, yeah, like you said, you create this fortress, did not want to talk about it, and that's when, when things started getting, the consequences in my life got extremely heavy, extremely quick. Um, and it all, like now I can see being this far back and, and working through my steps is being able to see um, the, the, the thing about keeping secrets and not being honest and not being able to ask for help and, and being so worried about what people will think. 
Um, but I tell people that every addict has a story and you have to treat drug addicts, whether they're in their active addiction or they're in recovery. And you have to, we have to treat them with empathy because every addict has a, there's a trauma in their life that happened to them. And there's a story behind that. And one of the ways that I built a fortress around me, because I am gay. So if I were to tell people I was sexually abused as, as a kid, people in society, some people out there would be like, well, that's the reason why you're gay, because you were sexually abused as a child, which is yeah. totally ridiculous. And it's terrible because that is a stigma then thrown upon other survivors of yeah. sexual abuse. But one of the things I did to myself to build that fortress and to keep people far away and, and, and to create almost like this machismo tough guy look. Yeah. I covered myself with yeah, ink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, I'm covered in it. I'm covered <laughs> in ink. And and I can say that now that the true reason why I started covering myself with all this uh, all this ink was to give people a tough impression, a different impression, and to keep them from knowing the real me. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I've got when when I when I went away on my first prison term, uh between 18 and 19 years old. I was just a little surfer kid from Dana Point. Um, came back with, you know, you once you get in the prison system, you get involved with all kind of the racial politics and getting evil crap tattooed all over your body. But inside, I remember sitting there in my cell and listening to everybody screaming all this negative crap. And I remember, like, this is not me. And for years, the type of people I was around, nobody would have known looking at me. Those guys that I was around thought I was a solid dude. But inside, I was still a scared little kid. I knew my parents didn't raise me this way. But I had gone so deep into wearing masks and covering this up that I, I didn't even know where to start. But it, it uh, yeah, the, the, the whole prison experience, um, it was just another mask that I was wearing. Um, and I'm grateful even at 42 now, I don't, you know, I'm grateful at 42 that I could say everything and, and that I'm okay. And my relationship with God is good. But, um, yeah. How has that impacted? How has that impacted? Well, I, I, I actually, I want to go back to, to that boys camp and, and the guys who abused you. Has there become, has there come a time in your life where you've gone back to that boys ranch and confronted anybody? Have you ever gotten to that point of wanting to hold them accountable where are you with that? i i actually went up they had the 50th year anniversary and even though that stuff happened there were a lot of experiences that seeds were planted in my life with some of my counselors there even though they didn't know what was going on um there were still there were still a lot of good times and at that point when i went up was probably about six years ago and i was sober but I did not. I had not told anybody about what happened. I, I mean, I had been kept keeping that secret for twenty years. So when I went up there, I didn't see any of those those guys. I don't know what would have happened if I did. But um, it was just a, a time there. I saw a lot of old friends. But there was stuff that happened to a lot of the the other guys that were there too, and nobody had talked about it. Nobody talked about that stuff. So at that point in my life, I, I wasn't at a place where I was going to expose it or talk about it. And um, and. I had six, almost six years of physical sobriety doing meetings, but when it came to an honest four step or taught, like how you said, you, you've been sober for a long time, but just talked about the sexual stuff in the last two years. Um, it was the same thing with me. And eventually that those almost six years of physical sobriety doing the, a lot of exterior stuff. I was doing a lot of working with going on intervention calls, 12 step calls, doing panels, speaking at high schools, um, doing a lot of outside stuff. But when it came to like 
wanting to help myself, I, I was too scared. I was too scared. So, um, I mean, that's what I eventually needed outside help. Like the rooms of AA and, and 12-step rooms weren't enough for me to deal with that kind of trauma, the sex abuse. So I ended up getting therapy, which eventually got me to the point to be able to speak openly and speak publicly about it, but also to finally confront my parents about it. Um, that's how much shame and guilt that I felt that I eventually, two years ago, uh, told my parents about what had happened to me from my youth soccer coach and my piano teacher. And do you know what my mom's reaction was to me? What? My mom looked at me and she goes, I know you told me when you were a kid. And I said, I did. And I said, well, what did you do about it? And she didn't do anything. And so I told my mom, I said, for every boy that that piano teacher went and abused, it's on you. Because you never went to the cops. And you never told anybody. And that abuser is still out there. You know, and that's what, that was one of the things that propelled me to write the book and to do that because I want people who have suffered that, that sex abuse, that child sex abuse, that trauma, to find the strength, to find the strength to tell somebody because I know what that secret did to me, you know, and I know what that untreated trauma did to me because I told my mom, I said, if you would have cared for me, you would have had me go speak to somebody. If your child comes to you and says they're being molested by a piano teacher, you should have gotten me help because what that did is that it became an untreated trauma and that untreated trauma led me to a life of of drug use and also sex addiction. You know? And so it impacted my personal relationships for so long yeah me too I mean, every, every relationship i mean yeah and i got hurt where are you at like where are you how how did that trauma impact your relationships and, and where are you at today with relationships in your life now that you've got some a little bit of time clean now um at least for 20 years any relationship i i had um was purely selfish um sex addiction for sure um any kind of outward feeling of love or attention made me feel, gave me a little bit of self-worth. Um, it was probably just as much a problem as drug and alcohol addiction. Um, but yeah, it definitely, because I didn't, I had no self-worth, you know, but I always had girlfriends, even in the worst times of my life, I always had somebody that I was with because I did not want to look at myself or be alone. So um, today, only through like, honestly being open with another man and also i i do i do therapy on the side i was doing therapy the first year of my sobriety which like how you said outside help regarding sexual trauma that happened to me being able to process it and then being able to open up in front of a group of men and even leading meetings i've opened up everything i've shared with you and uh i've got no negative feedback i've had people coming up giving me hugs um saying that it it it's made a difference in their life um so it feels good. I know God's showing me about being honest um, in this fear that dictated my life. My whole life kept me, kept me going in one direction where all I did, that, that repeating tape in, in my head that I'm not worthy, that nothing good is going to last in my life. There's a dark cloud following me. And everybody who cared me, cared about me, asking me that question, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And now I could see like the power that this lie had over my life um, 
has dissipated. So like I'm in healthy relationships today. I, I've got friends through AA that love me unconditionally and I love these guys back. I'm very open. I'm very transparent with these guys. And it's so important for me having accountability that these guys know where my heart's at. These guys know my struggle. They know when something's wrong with me. Um, I have an awesome relationship with Christina right here uh, who's been a blessing in my life. And um, it, yeah, it's all new to me. And it's all I can see now. I waited over a year before I even got in into a relationship, any kind of serious relationship. And that was because I knew that 25 years of wearing masks, of lying, of covering up stuff, of hurting others was going to take some time and some hard work and being uncomfortable. And I did that. I did whatever my sponsor said. Uh, my hands are up in surrender. I don't know how to live. Um, these are the things that I struggle with. And I've done what he said. And it has changed my whole outlook on life. I have a peace and calm and understanding of myself today and seeing myself worth in that. Some people like getting all the physical stuff back in their life. Um, and I've seen those people, that stuff gives you happiness for a bit and they fall. But the, the peace and comfort and being comfortable in my own skin for once in my for first time in my life is priceless. Like I go to bed with my head on my pillow with a smile on my face. And um, I like I try to stay in a mindset of of being grateful in humility. And I, I still struggle, but I, I'm understanding on, on this journey that like we're we're or I am a work in progress till the day I die. But it's about being honest and um, and being able to see like red flags in my life and having a moral compass on like how I treat people. And and so I know God, my higher power, God, whoever you want to call it, but he, but how important he is in my life. Um, and he works through the program and, and he works through AA in my life and in other men. But for me, it's been transparency and being honest for once, just honesty. Just honesty. That's the one thing that was lacking for so long. And yeah, it comes down to, I think with everybody I've worked with and guys that I sponsored, whether it's sexual trauma or some kind of trauma has happened and not to minimize it, even if you haven't been through sexual trauma, there's been some kind of trauma that pushes us into this, this life. And, um, I know a lot of people minimize it. Well, I haven't been molested or I have, this hasn't happened to me. I don't even want to talk about it, but you have to talk about it. There's we have, we all have issues, you know? So, you know what I realized too? Um, it was during, um, I it was seven months clean at the time and I was on the seventh step and it was a seven step meeting. And there was one, uh, there was one really dark secret that I had never shared. And it was something that I felt so much shame and guilt around that I couldn't even share in a group of CMA, like crystal meth addicts. Yeah. And there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. like dark yeah. stuff that yeah. is shared in those rooms. And I felt that my, in my mind, I was like, I can't share this. Like, this is too dark. Like, this is just too dark. And they always tell us, don't, you know, don't share in detail in a large group, share that with your sponsor. But like, it was to the point where I was like, no, I have to share this. Like, if I don't, like I'm going to use. And I told, I told the room that day that God can never forgive me for what I had done because I was hanging out with people who were worshiping Satan whenever I was high on meth, like sober, I would never be around that stuff. But the moment I hit that meth pipe, it's like the devil was just taken yeah. into me. And I just wanted to be around people who were like six, six, six. And it was like the most bizarre thing, but that was such a shameful memory. And it, a shameful secret that I held in. Did you know when I shared that at that CMA meeting and I was like in tears crying after that meeting, five guys came up to me and they said to me, you know what, Brandon, 
I've had like 10 years sober and I've gone to meetings my entire 10 years of sobriety. I have never heard somebody share that. And I'm so glad you did because I did the same exact thing. I had five guys come up to me saying, Brandon, I was doing the same thing. I've never heard somebody speak that out loud in a room. And you know what that allowed me to do is being like, dude, you're not unique. There are other people out there who have done that too. But by me speaking that out loud, it kind of was like, oh, good. I'm not the only one. I'm not unique. I'm not as bad as those damaged goods are. There's other people out there like me. But that shame and that stigma kept me from sharing that for so long. You know, and it's that kind of shame and stigma that drives us to go out. Yeah, 100%. 100%. They say you're as sick as your secrets. And I remember my sponsor, when I when I was talking about having uh, a little over five years of physical sobriety without really working on self, I had so many secrets. I was using all, all kind of things alcoholically, even though I was physically sober. Um, and it wasn't a good feeling because I, I, it was that that repeating tape in my head again, you're, you're being a fraud, you're wearing a mask. So this time around, I've made sure, um, you know, that I, I get honest. And it doesn't matter what you've done, being able, there's something about the power of speech and speaking that stuff out, whether it's with one guy or with a bunch of people, but people you trust and being able to free yourself, no matter what you've done. I've heard some some gnarly stories too, and mm-hmm. especially being involved with with people on meth and me doing meth for 20 plus years um yeah you've seen it all and, yeah <laughs> and we we know where it takes us you know living that life mm-hmm. um but yeah that that's the uh that 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 lie that whisper that became so loud in my head it was just overwhelmingly that's what i'd hear i didn't hear my higher power tell me that i that i am worthy it's okay you know um i just heard that constant loser you're a loser. Look what you've done. Yes. You can't talk about this stuff in front of other people. As addicts, and I tell people this all the time, like even society, listen, addicts, we will beat ourselves up way more than anybody else out there. Yeah. Like we have this mentality sometimes. And I, listen, I'm going on a decade so- sober. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and I'm like, I caught myself. I caught myself talking to myself, right? The crazy voices yeah. that we have in our head. And we make up stuff like we make up fights in our own head that we're having with people. And I snap myself. I'm like, that didn't happen. Why are you fighting with this person in your head? The other thing I caught myself doing was God's punishing me. I I caught myself saying the the reason why this is happening. God's punishing you. You should have done this better the other day or you should have been nice to that person. This is God's form of punishment. And I'm like, why do we self-sabotage? Like, why do we always? But then I'm like, no, you're just trying to make yourself the victim. You know, and like I have to get sometimes out of that space. But what I tell people, the more authentic we live, the more authentic lives that we live and the the truth that we stand in, the more people love us and the more people are attracted to us. And at least that's my experience, that the more I speak my truth and the more I, I speak openly about it and authentically and honestly about it, the more positive people that are attracted to me. Yeah, hundred percent. That's been my experience too, and uh, that's how I know that this the the program is working. Because Which is the total opposite. Because I thought that if I tell you the truth, you're gonna run. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're not gonna want to be around me. And that was a lie that that we listened. That's to what for the so devil long. tells us. Yeah, the yeah. devil goes, "Don't tell anybody that because once you do, nobody's gonna like you." Well, I know, and I've said this before, like regarding the devil or whatever dark voice that we listen to for so long you call it what you want to mm-hmm. but the the power 
of like having a connection with a higher power, whatever that may be, through working the steps, um, getting involved in the fellowship, and having a testimony of like how gnarly your life used to be and where it is now. That negative force that kept us down for so long does not want that getting out there because then that brings more people into the fold that know this dude <laughs> had an intense life and look at him now. He's totally changed his life. And, and like you said, too, about being honest, people see when you speak truth in your life, it is an attraction, you know, and it's, it attracted me because I was beat up when I came in 17 months ago. Uh, I Like I said, I had relapsed after having all those years of physical sobriety. People had this image of me that I was a go-to guy and I was helping all these youngsters and doing all this stuff because I I lost, I hadn't shared about this, I lost my little brother Travis um, to this disease uh, about 10 years ago. So like I was on fire when I got physically sober to help everybody, but I wasn't willing to help myself. And um, so this time around, I I think um, just knowing like that I am a new creation, um, it feels good now to know that I'm not a fraud, that I put the footwork in and um, and just feeling the freedom and wanting to give it back. That's something I didn't have before. I used to act like I was a good person when I was on drugs and I would always be the guy. Uh, we'd all be doing lines and everybody would be asking me for life life advice and I would give them the, the best advice. But I was not living that advice. I laugh because it's the exact same. Yeah. I, I totally relate. So now having done the work and having do done the footwork and being very uncomfortable in talking about a lot of things that I kept secret for 20 plus years and, and realizing like as an addict or alcoholic, we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We don't want anything to take long. Um, we want just it to be over with, but realizing like when I'm walking through the fire and I feel like everything's happening in my life and I'm starting to expose secrets that, um, that I've kept for so long that, that kept me in darkness and I'm feeling uncomfortable. I don't like feeling feelings. And we, I think as alcoholics, addicts, like we don't like feeling those feelings, but being able to feel those feelings and push through, I always knew like, even when it's the most extremely dark part of my life and I'm looking at all the past mistakes I've made and I don't even know where to start to get honest. I know like my higher power is with me and there's always when it's the most dark in my life that I push through, there was always light around that corner and blessings around that corner. And it's times where I feel alone and I've been so scared not knowing what's on the other side, I would never try. I would never try. So I would sabotage my life forever. And um, this time around, I've trusted the men that have been through this before me and I know these guys care about me. And um, I've took direction and pushed through and, and God's blessed me in my life because um, I, I will say to the wheels fall off, the step work and being honest and then also having outside help with a therapist and being able to openly speak about things has changed my whole outlook on life to where now I have momentum in my life. And, in, and it's, it's a short amount of time, 16 and a half months, but the quality of life that I have today compared to those almost six years of physical sobriety um, where I had not worked on any core issues, no trauma, no nothing. And I knew God cared enough about me. He was going to expose me eventually that it was going to, my life was going to fall apart and it didn't. And I'm grateful for that. And you know what the beautiful lesson of that too is you're coming up on 17 months sober and you're already feeling the miracles of sobriety. And I tell people this all the time, as long as you commit and as long as you start doing the work, you will start to see the miracles weeks into the program. And, and you know, your higher power, if you're committed to it, 
and you do what your sponsor tells you to do and you take suggestions and you do the work, it does not take long for you to start to see the miracles in the life happening around you. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't take years. You know, it does not take years. Um, is it easy? No. Like sitting in your own uncomfortable shit is not easy. It's not. It's not fun. It's not easy. But once you do, you start to begin to see some of those miracles. And, you know, as we begin to wrap this up, I always tell people this. The only thing that keeps me from doing meth again and doing alcohol is not AA. It's not even the 12-step rooms. It is my connection to my higher power that I have built. And my higher power, I'm a feminist, so she's a badass bitch. I always say that. She's a woman, and she's a badass, and she keeps me strong, and she keeps me sober, and she keeps me in line. And I, I say this to people because I live an incredibly amazing life today. Like, I went to Coachella, like, and I was sober, you know, like, and had an amazing time. And I tell people, I can feel like I can go and do anything and I can go live this beautiful life. I don't have to live inside of a shelter, inside of the rooms of just AA and live that to be my life. So as long as my connection to my higher power is rock solid, I won't harm myself. If my connection to my higher power and my spiritual connection is good, I will not harm myself. You know, and so I hear a lot of God and I hear a lot of spirituality in 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 your story. And, and I think it's a beautiful message to share with other people out there, uh, you know, who are struggling uh, that that spiritual connection. And I didn't have God before I came into these rooms. You know, clearly I was like giving God the middle finger for so many years of my life and I didn't have a spiritual connection to anything. You know, my spiritual connection was to my crack pipe and to my drugs and to my, you know, my party animals, you know, Um but I know that my spiritual connection is what saves me even to this day and gives me purpose to live. Man, you have an incredible story. Uh, thank you so much uh, for, for coming on and sharing your story so openly. Um, I know it's going to... I know it's going to really, so many of the people who listen to this podcast and watch it, um, a lot of them are actually people who have yet to make it into recovery. Um, they watch the podcast and they're like, man, I'm still actively using, but your podcast is saving me. And this is all about just planting the seed that no matter how tough your childhood was, no matter how hard our lives were, that you can build this incredible life in 17 And months. And also like the the thoughts that... I, I'm unique. Nobody's been through. I haven't met one person yet that has come in there that hasn't had someone else who has been through that stuff. So no matter what what somebody's going through, if they are in active addiction and they're watching this, knowing that everybody there's there's nothing new under the sun. We've all done stuff that we're not proud of, but it, can, it comes down to those feelings of shame. At least for me. Oh yeah. Um, and being able to free myself and just admitting. And putting it out there and giving it over to God, and it's gone, you know. And, yep. and um, yeah, we've yeah. seen it, we've heard it, or we've done it. So don't feel yeah. shame about coming to you know coming to a twelve step meeting and, and, and sharing that and asking for help because I promise you this, we will sit here in no judgment because we've been there. So yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for uh, thanks for watching this edition of Escaping Rock Bottom. We hope to see you back here next week. <laughs>